You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Well, this evening we are going to uh, take a detour and be in the book of Jonah, the Old Testament book of Jonah. Uh, some of the people in this room were in uh, First Essentials class we just did this last semester, and we took half a class to go through the book of Jonah. Um, this lesson is going to be partly from that, but also partly different. And if you don't have a note page, there are, are we out of notes? Then, uh, hey, uh, I have one of my former interns here, and I'm going to get him to still work for me like he used to. Um, Johnny, you remember how to make copies? Okay, you can figure it out. Um, has anybody got a blank one he can take up there? Or just grab one of them. All right, you remember where it is up in that little office? All right, go straight down that hallway. And right before the double doors, take a right. There's a copier in there. Five ones. Hit black and white copy. 20 copies. Once, once you get hired on here, you never get out. Thanks, man. He was my intern three summers ago. I think it's three summers ago. And uh, I took him fishing that summer. And uh, he got a tangle in his fishing line. So I... I said, here, hold, I just thrown out into the perfect spot. I said, here, hold this, let me untangle you and, and set it up. And uh, as I was trying to untangle it, I hear this noise. Uh, it's kind of like somebody groaning but trying to hide that they're working. And I turn around and the fishing pole is just bowed over. I mean, almost touching water. And he's trying not to let know that he's fighting it. He pulled in this monster trout like that. And then tried to say it wasn't my fish, all right? All right, book of Jonah. Um, God's heart for the nations. Now, Jonah means dove in Hebrew. Now, whether you want to make some uh, symbolism out of that his name uh, means dove, which is shown as a symbol of peace, um, you might could do that. Because his uh, ministry that we're going to look at uh, really shows God's heart for wayward, rebellious mankind. But the book of Jonah is not the start of Jonah. Jonah's story starts in the book of 2 Kings. And so you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll read it. Um, but Jonah is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel... And I want to give you just a little bit of historical background. If you remember after the time of Solomon, the northern kingdom of Israel, ten tribes, breaks away from the southern kingdom because Solomon had taxed the people so heavily and made them work. And his son, Rehoboam, uh, decided that he could uh, be even crueler to the people. 
You remember they came up and said, your father made us work really, really hard. And uh, can you just, you know, can you lighten the load a bit? And, and he said, you know, you think my dad was bad. You wait till I get done with you. And so the people, they, they basically took their ball and went home. Every man to their own tent, and they uh, left the house of David. Well, in the middle of that uh, time with Jeroboam, uh, Jeroboam was the uh, king who broke away from Solomon. So in that time, Jeroboam uh, set up a rival dynasty. And that uh, kingdom had its capital in Samaria, where the Samaritans come from. And in Samaria and Bethel in the north, Samaria in the south, they set up two rival temples to the temple in Jerusalem and made another religious system to serve the Lord with two golden bulls at each of these sites. These people abandoned God and of their 14 kings before they were destroyed in 722 B.C., none of the kings were righteous. They were all godless men who left the Lord and they got Israel to follow them, worshiping other gods. Well, in 2 Kings 14, uh, verse 22, it says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, who's Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He's a very powerful king. Restored the northern kingdom of Israel to a lot of its former glory. uh, Beat a lot of people on the battlefield. But, in verse 24, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. That's the first Jeroboam. Which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke, and here we go, by his servant Jonah, the son of Imitai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. So Jonah had a successful prophetic ministry. He had said to the people of Israel, God is going to restore your borders and he's going to protect you. And Jeroboam II was able, even though he was a wicked king, to restore the borders of God's people to those boundaries. Look in verse 26. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. In this setting, Jonah was a successful prophet. Even though the king was wicked... And the people were wicked. Jonah served the Lord. And Jonah prophesied the message that the Lord had given him. And the people saw it happen. So we can imagine that Jonah had some some friends in high places with this administration. King Jeroboam II probably said, you know, that's one of the good prophets. Because he prophesied something good. He's one of the good prophets. It's not close-minded like those others that come up here from Judah and tell us that we've abandoned the Lord. Look, see, the Lord's with us. He's with his people. He promised long ago he wouldn't leave us, and look, he's, he's kept us. 
So it might be that the people of Israel had begun to just rely on their heritage more than their faith. Their heritage in the Lord more than active faith in the Lord. And they might have grown, grown more and more spiritually lazy and just said, you know what? The Lord will take care of it, but let's just have a good time and do whatever we want. And in the middle of that, Jonah, the successful prophet, receives another job assignment from the Lord. Now in the book of Jonah, I'm going to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 1. Keep in mind, this guy's had a great career. He's probably got some plaque over his mantle from King Jeroboam II with the stamp on it. He dusted off every once in a while and says, look what I did. We saw God move. We saw God work. And he's just going to kind of relax and maybe retire or enjoy the latter phases of his life. But in chapter 1, verse 1 of Jonah, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. For their evil has come up before me. So he's got a new assignment. Jonah, successful prophet, well-loved by the king and the people probably, gets called to a foreign people, a foreign land, not God's people. And in this uh, charge, God tells him to go and preach against their great evil. Thanks, man. Here, you want one? Oh, you want to pat? Yeah, if you, got, if you need one, raise your hand. Service with a smile. Now, what happens next is a turn on what you expect. Keep those hands up high. Instead of Jonah saying, you know what? I've seen God move once. Let's see him move again. He does the opposite of what you expect. Look in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah disobeyed and ran. Now, who was Nineveh? Who was Nineveh, the capital city of? Somebody said it. Assyria, yes. Assyria. The Assyrians were wicked people. Um, they would go to war, and after they were done killing all the locals that fought them, they would take all of the non-combatants and chain them together with fish hooks through their cheek and march them, force march them away from their land, all chained together. They would make mountains of the carcasses from all the soldiers they had defeated, and they would write uh, in these big announcements in the royal city about how many people they had killed, put to the sword, and put into slavery. They were violent and wicked people. But during this phase in history, we see that they're actually on a decline for a little bit. And in this decline... God sends a prophet to them from the people of Israel, Jonah. But Jonah, after considering who the Assyrians were and what they were all about, decides instead he will run to Tarshish, Tarshish from the Lord. So he paid the fare and went down into it.
to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Kind of funny that in the middle of this uh, multicultural, you know, pan-religious boat, uh, everyone starts praying and after the prayers don't work, they're good with anybody's prayers working. It's like everybody tries. Somebody's God has to listen. Uh, it's almost like no atheists in foxholes. Well, even in the foxhole, some people become uh, selective atheists pretty quick when their God doesn't listen. And so they're waking Jonah up. You know, I don't, I don't know what religion you are, sir, but anything's got to work better than what we've been getting from our gods right now. So you go try to pray. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So it's almost like a paper, rock, scissor, and if you lose, it's your fault. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Jonah lost. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? Now, you know the story, and we've read to get to this point right here. I know that you remember the flannel graphs uh, from childhood, right? Where they put that little uh, cutout picture and you change it around. When I was a kid, that was, that was, we liked that about VBS, flannel graph. Well, you remember the one of Jonah. He's on the boat and then you put him in the water. And then you take the little uh, Velcro whale and you put it near him and you put Jonah under the whale, you know. You can act it out in your head. You know how the story goes, but look very carefully at what happens here. Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? Were these men followers of God? But had they heard of him? God's name had already gone far from the borders of Israel so that other nations knew about him. Even though they didn't serve him, they had heard about him. And when they meet one of his servants, they get scared. Isn't it amazing that these sailors realize that Jonah is in danger more than he does. Because remember, he's asleep. What have, what have you done? <laughs> For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. God's reputation preceded Jonah. God's reputation had even at this point come to Nineveh. He was not unknown to the people of Nineveh, and so he had prepared the fields for Jonah, but Jonah ran from them. 
See, Jonah is a weird prophetic book. It's a weird book in the prophets. Most of the prophets talk about the pronouncements of judgment that the Lord gives. How many sins of this country and how many sins of that country and that God is going to punish it. A lot of the prophets will tell from what nation the destruction will come for the people of God. It talks about the Assyrians coming down and destroying Samaria, which they do in 722 B.C. And then many of the prophets talk about the Babylonians coming in 586 B.C. and destroying the southern kingdom. God foretells it. But the book of Jonah is different. Now, if Jonah had written his book earlier in life, he might have written it a much different way. It might have been, here's what God told me about Israel. Y'all were so scared. Y'all were afraid. But God showed his mercy to you. You didn't deserve it. You were all wicked following these golden cows that your kings had set up outside of Jerusalem against the law of Moses, but God still saved you. And God still kept you for himself. Aren't you special, Israel? Aren't you wonderful because God has chosen you? And he might have written a book like that talking about how he pronounced judgment and he pronounced deliverance and God did it and, and he just might have sealed that book up and said, look, this was my ministry. Wasn't it awesome? Look what God did. Instead, the book of Jonah reads like a confession. It reads like Jonah saying, let me tell y'all how I got it wrong. Let me tell y'all how God had to set me straight. And so at this point when these mariners have already heard of God, his name has preceded his prophet, the book of Jonah really starts. So, Jonah's an odd book. Look at the top of your notes. If you uh, look up there, Jonah is, is kind of built in five segments. And uh, from chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, you just have the charge that we read. And then you see Jonah running for the rest of chapter 1. Now, at the end of chapter 1, you know the story. They throw him overboard. After he says, it's the only way to save your boat. And uh, if, if you will look in verse 16 of chapter 1, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah's running away from God, and God is still calling people to himself. Um, he's, God is hitting a straight shot with a crooked stick. So... Jonah swallowed by the great fish, by the whale. We're not quite sure what it is. And then chapter 2 is his prayer in the belly of the fish as he's slowly digesting and probably swimming around all kinds of weird stuff that this fish has swallowed. If you look at the beginning of chapter 3, I thought I heard something. If you look at the beginning of chapter 3, and I know we're going to move quickly through the book to get to the main point here, you'll see the second time God calls Jonah. Chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word, according to the word of the Lord. So the second time God calls Jonah, what does Jonah do? He's learned the lesson. The Lord disciplined him and he learned what he was supposed to learn, right? Well, kind of, kind of. Y'all know the story. Um, When you read his message in the book of Jonah, part of me thinks, yeah, it was, they're just shortening it because they didn't want to write the whole sermon. And so when it says, Jonah began to go, uh, to go into the city, going a day's journey, he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, the scholars all think it was a much longer message. That's just shortened to give you the gist of it because, you know, you don't want to write the whole sermon here in the book of Jonah. But part of me wonders if Jonah was just going through the motions. Yeah, I've got to go. Last time I tried to leave, a fish swallowed me. But I'm not going to put much effort into this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to walk around and say, hey, y'all have got 40 days. And then the city's going to be torched. Deal with it. <laughs> Maybe he just wasn't even trying at this point. You know, th- these guys are terrible. I'm not going to waste time preaching a good sermon. I'm going to give them the, the quick sermon. They get the leftovers. But whatever the message was he preached, look in verse 5 at the response. And the people of Nineveh, what did they do? <laughs> they believed God. So the mariners on the boat believed in God. And now the people of Nineveh believed God. In fact, it says here, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Not only did they believe God, they repented. They changed their ways. Whenever you repented in uh, biblical times, you would take off your soft, um, comfortable, you know, well-tailored clothes and put on coarse, rough garments, like, like coffee bags or like sackcloth, um, itchy, coarse, like canvas. And you did that to show the spiritual state of your heart that you no longer were going to hide behind soft, comfortable clothes. You were no longer going to uh, put lotion on your skin and ointment on your head. You were, you were going to throw dust on your head and look hideous and haggard because you're trying to show God, I'm sorry, I've messed up. The whole city does this. And in verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Even the king does this. Now think back for a minute. Remember we talked about Israel, the northern kingdom. Jonah preached to them. Did they follow God? Did they declare repentance? Did they try to follow him? No. They just said, hey, we're God's people. We've got this. It's going to be all right. And their king kept doing evil. The people kept worshiping idols. They kept doing what was wrong. 
Now here's this lost pagan nation. They hear the word of the Lord and they actually repent. Look at the contrast between God's people and this other people. Verse 7. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. How did these people know that God was merciful? Because his reputation had preceded the prophet. Because Jonah wasn't letting them in, was he? Jonah's message didn't say, you know what? Repent now, God's merciful. He might yet relent from, his, from this calamity. He might deal with you mercifully. He might, he might turn from his anger. And you might be saved. What we have recorded here is that Jonah just says, y'all got 40 days and then y'all better get in your bomb shelter, more or less. So just like the mariners, the Ninevites had already heard, hey, there's this God down there in this one place, and he's merciful. And when his prophets come to town, if you listen to it and change your ways, he actually won't destroy you. You can be rescued. So God's reputation had preceded the prophet once again. In verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, if this book ended here, Jonah is two for two. The first time he promised that God would save Israel, and he did. And the second time he preached such a mighty sermon that the whole city went all out repenting, declared a fast, and the wrath of God was averted. Jonah, if you were just looking on the surface, should throw himself a party, right? Two for two. Back to back world champion prophet those other prophets you know they they preach this and it doesn't happen well Jonah you know 100% but look at chapter 4 and I think chapter 4 is the point of the book it's the reason it's written the way it is chapter 4 verse 1 but it displeased Jonah exceedingly or the Hebrew says it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. When Jonah looked at what God did by not destroying that city, he thought it was the worst thing he'd ever seen. Jonah would have danced on their grave if he could have. Instead, when God decides to give them a second chance, he's going to throw a different type of party, a pity party. So look in verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said? When I was yet in my country, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, 
For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. It's almost like he's insulting God by telling God good things about himself. I knew you were merciful. I knew you would relent. I knew you were gracious. Where does he know this from? Because Jonah looks at Israel and he goes, you know what? I've read the law of Moses and we're not doing the law of Moses and we're not destroyed. God's merciful. So when God sends him to preach to this other nation, he doesn't think, well, this is going to be fun. He thinks, "Uh uh-uh, that's supposed to be our mercy. That's supposed to be our grace. Not those people's. We want the nice things from God, but I want them to be destroyed. And so he complains like that to God. And in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now look at how God answers him. Verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah, is this sane behavior? Are you in your right mind? Is this what normal people do? Well, Jonah, not to be outdone, verse 5, he goes out of the city and he sits to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. And made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now look at these last couple of verses. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He's just throwing a fit. I've got an 11-year-old and 9-year-old boy. They've never said anything this strong, but there are times they exhibit the wisdom of Jonah when they get in trouble. And I try to remember how God dealt with Jonah when I have to deal with them. But look at how God deals with Jonah. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. The statement they don't know their right hand from their left means they're children, about five and under. So kids don't know right from wrong yet. Big city, right? 120,000 kids in it. And Jonah would rather have watched it get lit up like the 4th of July than see them repent. 
Now, what do we make of this book? The last chapter shows us. Who wrote Jonah? Jonah. And he didn't write his message, his sermon. He didn't write very much about the response of Nineveh even. The details that he writes about are his own failures and shortcomings. Chapter 4 shows us that looking back on it later in life, Jonah realized, I was wrong. Look at the book of Jonah like his confession, like his repentance. Instead of us seeing it as a nation repenting, which they did, the book of Jonah is written, I believe, as Jonah's repentance. As he left Nineveh and went back to Israel, I imagine later in life, he sat and reflected on what a fool he was to be so out of the mind and heart of God that he could not see what God was doing. So he went back home and he wrote this book. And the book says, if you look, the book says... What is wrong with you, Israel, me, Jonah, that we don't see God's heart for other nations? So he looks back through his ministry and he sees his ministry to Israel and he goes, I should have known. We didn't deserve God's favor, but he chose us from all the nations of the earth for a reason and he saved us. And it wasn't because we were doing what's right. And then I get to this boat and these guys have already heard of the Lord. Where'd they hear, where'd they hear of him uh, uh, from? Because we're supposed to be this light. We're supposed to be this nation where God's fame spreads to other nations. And they had already heard of us. And when I got there, all I could do was fall asleep and, and hide. But God had already prepared them. And even in my disobedience, these mariners and sailors began to fear the Lord, and then I get barfed out by a fish on the shore. you got to imagine uh, what Jonah looked like after being three days and three nights in a fish's stomach. I had one friend who said, uh, when you pull bait out of a fish's stomach, after a while it looks really weird, almost looks bleached. And he said, imagine in a desert culture of fairly bronzed-skinned people, this guy coming out of the shore with no eyebrows, no eyelashes, no hair, scabs all over him, and pale white bleached skin, preaching to you that God's going to destroy you. Now, I don't know if Jonah really looked that way, but you could imagine that would be a harrowing sight to have somebody come out of a fish's stomach and start telling you, boy, have I got a sermon for you. You're all going to be destroyed in 40 days. And Jonah sees this, and these people repent, and it's like he's kicking himself. Why did I even preach? God twice had showed him, I'm already at work here, Jonah. You can't stop me. You're going to do what I tell you one way or the other, whether it's willingly or if a fish carries you. And even after that, Jonah can't get that God wants his name to spread and his glory to spread all over the earth to other nations. He still can't get it through his head. So he goes home mad, and at some point God works in his life, and I believe he writes this book to God's people showing them, you're getting it wrong. You're getting it wrong. God doesn't love you because you're special. God doesn't love you because you always get it right. God loves you because he's merciful, 
And he wants you to receive that mercy and tell others about it. In fact, Jesus uses the book of Jonah as an illustration. And in Matthew 12, 41, Jesus re-preaches the message of Jonah in two ways. Once, by actively uh, enacting the three days and three nights. But in this section, he just uses an illustration. And so, uh, in chapter 12... Matthew, verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What is the sign of the prophet Jonah? He explains, verse 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, look at this, verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So as Jonah is a sermon to Israel, to the people of God, saying, what is wrong with you that you can't see the purpose of God right in front of you? Jesus re-preaches that message. What's wrong with you, generation, that you can't see one even greater than Jonah is here? Let's fill in the blanks together, okay? Jonah was a blank in the northern kingdom of Israel. A prophet. A prophet. A lot of people don't connect that story out of 2 Kings with the book of Jonah. But he'd had a, an illustrious career, you know, even before the book. Jonah did not want to obey the Lord because he feared God would have blank mercy, compassion, grace. Any of those will work. He did not want God to forgive those people. Third, Jonah's preaching was met with repentance. Repentance from the Assyrian kingdom. You know, this is around the time, uh, this is actually after the time of Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah and Elisha had such good reputations that people came from outside kingdoms to get help from the prophets of God. God had been at work for centuries in that geographical area showing people there's a different type of God who lives in Israel. Not one that you serve via a statue. Not one that you uh, sacrifice your children to, like Molech, the God of the Ammonites. But a God who will work, who will heal you, who will hear you, who will save you, and who rescues his people. So they had heard these stories for centuries. God's reputation had gone outside of Israel. Fourth, after Jonah's successful preaching, he complained about a blank that withered. A plant, a vine, a tree. Imagine being that obtuse and dense that you can't realize that a little plant is not as valuable as an entire city of people. But, We get that way sometimes, don't we? 
God's heart for the city contrasts with Jonah's heart for. Think about this one. Who's his heart really for here? Himself. He's selfish. He's he's acting spoiled. Now, because of God's heart for the nations, we, here's our application, we should also be compassionate and bring the blank to all nations, the gospel. So this is where the application comes from. If we can see Jonah's sin, Jonah's fault, then we have to examine the plank in our own eye. We may not want a city destroyed, but there are times that we might put our, preference, our preferences, our economic interests, or our geopolitical interest over what we should be considering God's heart for the gospel to go all over the world, even those nations that do crazy things to us. Last but not least, God's people should carry God's message to the whole world. Jonah's message to y'all, to me, was his testimony that he did not grasp how deep the plan of God was. The book closes with that question of, should not I have compassion on that great city? And even the cattle, even the cattle. And so we walk away from the book saying, well, if God has compassion for those people out there, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.